And we're back. Another edition Stripe Show podcast. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. We have arrived here the week of one of my favorite events in professional golf. I love this event. I am very excited to head up to Whistling Straits this week and be a part of it for three days. I've never been to a Ryder Cup. Can't wait to get on the grounds and be a part of the festivities. And of course, cheer on Team USA. And uh, well, I got to thinking, who could help us kick off Ryder Cup week than the guy that, uh, well, is one of the best Ryder Cup players of all time for Team USA. He's been on eight Ryder Cup appearances, 34 matches, and he's won 20 of them, folks. That's 21 and a half points. The only two to win more points than my guests, Arnold Palmer, and Billy Casper. Lanny Watkins joins us on the podcast. Lanny, can't thank you enough for uh, jumping on. Oh, nice to be with you, Travis. Hope you're having a good day and should be a great Ryder Cup. It is. It's going to be a great day and it's going to be a great week. Um, you know, Lanny, there's so many questions I want to ask you, and I'm going to I'm gonna start with this um, with our audience here. Take us back into the late 70s and the 80s, early 90s, the run that you had. Of course, you were a great player. You're a Hall of Famer. But uh, you were terrific in, in the Ryder Cup. As I mentioned, only Arnold and Billy Casper have won more points uh, than you. Take us back to those days and, and, and what the Ryder Cup meant to Lanny Watkins. Well, it was always special to me. I, I love team events. I was fortunate enough to play twice on Walker Cup team. So I had a, an idea of what a Ryder Cup would be as far as having, you know, the best players of that time on your side. And I, I loved my time at Wake Forest playing, you know, as a team there. So for me, being part of a team was very cool. I mean, golf's such an individual sport that all of a sudden, anytime you get to be part of a team representing the United States, uh, I, I just thought it, I don't know that there's anything more cool you can do. Uh, I had a lot of pride in it. I wanted to play well. I enjoy the camaraderie. Um, you know, when you play the tour, you're kind of a lone duck, you know, if you will, out there by yourself and the only person pulling for you is your wife usually. So um, <clears throat> it's kind of nice to have, you know, a whole bunch of these guys all pulling for you and all, you know, trying to, you know, working towards the same goal. So for me, it was, it was really exciting to be part of those teams. And my first team I made in 77 uh, it was because I won the PGA championship. Uh, I beat Gene Littler in the playoff at Pebble Beach. And we were standing on the first tee of the playoff. And Don Padgett, who was president of PGA, said to Gene and myself, said, well, whichever one of you guys wins today, you will be on the 77 Ryder Cup team. You're, you're, the PGA champion is automatic. And you're going to knock Al Guyberger off the team. So that's how I made my – when I won the playoffs, that's how I made my very first team. and. That first team in 77, it was just Great Britain and Ireland is who we were playing against. We did not, uh, Europe came into play in 79. So that was the first time Europe was part of it. And when we played in 77, they were trying uh, to make the matches a little bit more equitable. The U.S. had been dominating. So we actually played three sets of matches. There weren't as many points involved. We played like alternate shot the first day one set of matches and then and then best ball the second day, then singles the third day. Uh, I, I played three matches, went three and oh, and, and that's how I got my Ryder Cup started. You were a rookie with uh, Tom Watson that year. You were 27 
Watson was uh, 28. It looks like Raymond Floyd was on that team. Hale Irwin. Nicholas, uh, he was 37. He That was his uh, fifth Ryder Cup. And I'm curious. Yeah, Don January, teams, Dave Hill, Ed Sneed. I mean, a lot yeah. of guys that uh, Hubert Cream was on that team. Uh, Watson and I were the babies, no question, on the <laughs> team. But uh, it was uh, it was it was very cool. I mean, Watson and I go back, you know, essentially the same age. He's He had just turned uh 28th i think september 4th i'm december 5th I would have been right behind him but um you know I, we played amateur golf together he did not make a, a walker cup team but we did have the distinction of staying in the crow's nest our first masters together in 1970 we were both amateurs and uh, somebody screamed bloody murder in his sleep all night long <laughs> you know i'm curious when you when you walk into that team room in 77 and you know, there's Nicholas. He's played in four. He's 12, six, and three. That's his record. There's Hiller when he's played in one. He's 4 0 and one. Was it kind of like this is understood? This is a big event. And, and you're walking into something where all 12 guys, they want to be there. You're representing something that's bigger than yourself. It's a team competition. Were there kind of, were there leaders? I know there were captains, but were there leaders amongst players during your tenure in the Ryder Cup? We had a great, we had a great captain in Dale Fensterwall. He was uh, a guy I looked up to. I'd known since I was 17 or so. I actually had taken some lessons from Dal uh, when he was pro at the Broadmoor. So I had a relationship with him going in. The other thing, remember, <clears throat> even though Watson and I were rookies on the team, you had to be on tour five years to be a class A pro to be eligible to play on the Ryder Cup at that point in time. Uh, that stipulation doesn't happen anymore. It probably cost me at least one, if maybe even two teams, you know, I would have made the 73 team for sure, uh, based on my play back in 72 and 73, I could not make those because I wasn't eligible. So by having been on the tour since 72, we already knew those guys. So we weren't, you know, thrust, we may have been rookies on the team, but we were, you know, peers of the guys in the room. I'd gone head to head against Nicholas in January and Hale and all those guys. Ed Sneed and I were playing money game partners and stuff like that. So we're, you know, we knew the guys. That was always, that was a good thing going in. So the, there was a comfort level. And plus, I came off wins at the PGA Championship and the World Series of Golf, you know, in the month leading up to the Ryder Cup. So I was playing as good a golf as anybody in the world at that point in time, I'd won at Firestone by five shots over Irwin and Weisskopf. So I was playing well. Um, you know, Nicholas was playing well. He had lost uh, the PGA by a shot. He missed by a shot of going in the playoff with Littler and myself. So the team was playing well as a whole. And I, I, I think that, uh, you know, obviously you're looking up to people like Jack Nicholas and Don January, particularly those two would be the two that come to mind that you're going to pay attention to if they say something in a team room, no question. Um, the rest of the guys were all, you know, Hale's not that much older than me and mm -hmm. uh, Ed Sneed was close in age and a good friend. So uh, I don't think we felt intimidated by anybody. Uh, I think it was, I think it was an advantage for Watson. I haven't been on the, t on the tour that long. So we felt very comfortable going into that situation. You know, the Americans, when you look at it, they've lost nine of the last 12, um, it's certainly become more competitive. And, you know, when you look at this, and I know you're on the Champions Tour and you're the lead and analyst for Golf Channel and you're really 
into that, but you've got your, your hands still and watch a little bit from a distance from the PGA tour. And you've seen what's gone down, right. With the USA and Europe and USA really every year is the, is, is the favorite on paper. None more than this year. This is the, the best the team has ever ranked out, at least when it comes to the average from an official world golf ranking. I mean, they look dominant on paper, but we know that doesn't always transpire. What do you think has happened here in USA golf Ryder cup and why Europe has been so successful with this over the last two decades? You know, I, I kind of think in, in some instances, well, European got some moxie going when they had the five guys back in the, Oh, started late started 79 and even early eighties, but by 83, they were developing, you know, Ian Woosnam and Seve Ballesteros and Jose Maria Olathabal, Nick Faldo, Sandy Lyle. Um, I don't know if I'm missing someone out of that group or not, but that's that core bunch of guys. Oh, Bernhard Langer, that's the other one. Uh, that's the core group of guys that got them going. And they, you know, they, even though they were major champions, Hall of Famers, they all played with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I think coming from Europe, you know, they always looked at the big, bad Americans. And I think they play with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. They play with more purpose sometimes than the Americans do. And I, and I, 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 I never understood that. I, I go back to my generation and I think of me and Hale and Watson and Larry Nelson and Raymond Floyd. And, and, you know, they play now and then kind of like Raymond and Tom and myself and Hale played, you know, we, we wanted to win at all costs. And, you know, we didn't, I didn't care who I played with. I played on eight Ryder Cups. I never asked a captain one time to play with someone. Uh, I felt like it was a captain's job to make the pairings. He had studied the course and the situations and let him play who he wanted to play. I mean, today's guys, it's all about playing with their buddies. And it's, it's you know, I, I, they, I think they've got the wrong approach and wrong focus. I mean, they're, they're, it's definitely a softer group. They make a lot more money. The, you know, life's not tough. I mean, you know, they're all traveling in private jets, you know, we're flying coach class and, you know, we're, we're needing to win money in tournaments to survive and pay our bills. I mean, you know, when I, I, I told my son, who's best friends with Kramer Hickok, they grew up playing together and Kramer lost a playoff at Hartford not long ago this year. And you made over 800,000 one day for that playoff loss. I said, Tucker, I, I said, I never made 800,000 in a year. And that's winning two and three times in a year. Most ever made in a year was 760,000 or something. And that's three wins and was, and was PGA player of the year. So I'm just saying it's, it's a different lifestyle. They it's, um, and I, I, th- I think it's reflective. I think, do they get tough sometimes when the, when they're trying to win tournaments? Yes. But uh, you know, that's uh, it's, it's, it's a different attitude. Yeah, it's a different. It is a different attitude, and it's a different. Um, it's a different world, as we know. Yes, and the sport, completely. Yeah, the sport and the player, the the big name players that we're talking about that play on the USA team. They're they're all entrepreneurs. They're their own brand. They have their own logo. Um, they have their yeah, own. Yeah, you, you've got you've got you've got guys in their twenties on that team that will never fly commercial again the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. I can't fathom that. You know. And I think, and I think through this approach, you know, now we're, we're entering a time where it just seems like from the outside that, and I know the Ryder cup means a lot to a lot of players that are going to be there, 
There's no question about it. I think it means something to Justin Thomas. I think it means something to Jordan Spieth. I think there's some players where they could take it or leave it. That's just my observation on. Yeah, I, and I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head with those two guys. I mean, for starters, uh, Justin Thomas has won a PGA Championship, and his dad was a PGA pro, as was his, his grandfather. So I think he understands, you know, the the roots of the PGA of America, and and they own the Ryder Cup, and and what the Ryder Cup means. Probably has a sense of history in golf. I know Jordan very well. He's got a sense of purpose and history in the game, mm-hmm. and I think he would like to establish his place in it. And I think Ryder Cup, I mean, like it was for me, can be a big part of that for someone like Jordan. So I, I think, uh, I think you'll see all the intensity in the world out of him. So I, I like that. Yeah, I like those two guys that you mentioned. They're mm-hmm. they're they're throwbacks a little bit. I'm not I'm not putting out that on the entire team. Okay? No, no. But 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 they're definitely they're definitely throwbacks. Yeah, I think it means something to Xander. You know, I think that gold medal means something. You know, it's bigger than them, right? There is a history there, and. I think I think you've hit some key words here that I've that I've put down. I've talked about last week on the podcast, like attitude and um, you know going in with the purpose and wanting to be a part of a team, like you were saying, and playing for something that's bigger than you. Then it's not about you and I and me and your brand. It's 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 about the country. And you know, Brooks Kepka had a lot to say last week, article in Digest, and I I like the transparency and the honesty. Doesn't mean I always have to agree with it. And when I look at the Ryder cup and I hear things like Brooks say, and I'll quote, he thinks, you know, I'd love to represent my country. And I think that's fun. It's just maybe not in my DNA, this team sports thing. And I think it's understood that, you know, Brooks probably could take it or leave. At least that's my observation looking in like it's, it's can be a bit of a, this week can be a disruptor to his routine and the way that he does things because the Ryder cup, is ran very differently as far as your obligations and the team format and things like that. Are we entering a time, Lanny, you think, and this is weird to say, but like with the Ryder cup and the schedules that these guys have their own entrepreneur business, all the money in the world that can we just get 12 guys that want to be there and, and create. Well, I, I, I think we can. Uh, and, and I think I understand a little bit about, you know, for a guy like Brooks, who's, who, I don't know if he's played on the last Ryder Cup or not. I, I honestly, he's four, three, probably. and one. All right. Well, I mean, he ought to have a, an idea of what's going on. I, I think back to David Duvall, who, you know, kind of dissed the Ryder Cup, and then got in the middle of it, and all of a sudden, he's the biggest rah rah guy of all time. Uh, he figured it out. It's it's something special. If if you go up there to Whistling Straits and play in front of probably forty thousand fans following one group, and it and you're playing against guys that are trying to be, you can't get your blood boiling for the USA for that. Then then something's wrong with you seriously. Uh, So I, I, I'd be surprised if, if that's not a little bit of a a show and just bravado from Brooks, but in the heat of the moment, he ought to be as into it as anyone. I mean, he, he actually, to me, looks like the guy that ought to take Ryder cup by the throat and, and love it, love every second of it. Yeah. A chance, the chance to beat people. He likes to beat people. Well, Ryder Cup's about beating people. You know, the people across the the aisle there that you're that you're getting to play against. So, you know, uh, match play is is beating someone at its at its best. It, it's you against him, and um, that'll be right in his DNA, I would think. So I'm I'm kind of, you know, we'll see. I, I I don't think you'll see that 
you know, that may have been something he said. I, I bet in the heat of the moment, it didn't turn out that way. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I hope he's playing well because I think he could be a big force for Team USA up there. Absolutely. I was like, hey, let's put Kepka with Finau in best ball. Finau has that confident Brooks. Brooks goes out and play. Finau, we know when he's loose, he can fall out of bed and make seven birdies. Like, that's what we need. Um, he's got yeah, he the can't win, but he, he can't win, but he can make seven. Well, birds. he's got to win now, Randy. Let's, well, yeah, he's had one good nine holes. He had, he's got a second win. We got to, we're, we're going to, we're going to tip our cap to, to Finau. But in Finau, hey, look, Finau was one of the bright spots in France, um, in alternate shot, or excuse me, in best ball. He, he won his match. I think he was, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think he was two and one, I believe. Um, but anyway, it's, um, it's just an interesting time. And it's, it's like, it's, the Ryder Cup just feels like on the outside as a fan in the media, like, is it losing, is it losing its allure? Is it losing its uh, intensity in the locker room? I don't think so. I mean, players? I mean, all the build up, the hype, everything is, is, is as much as you've ever seen is the TV coverage, the, the, the media coverage, uh, uh, you know, the, the players need to buy in a little bit more on, on some of the stuff that goes on. That's what I'm talking uh, about. I mean, it, it is a big, it is a big show. Uh, I mean, and you're part of the show. It's not you. You don't get to go up there and be a hermit for the week. You're representing your country. Uh, you know, show a little pride in that. And yeah, I. I mean, I think you've got to take the attitude that I. I enjoyed the team dinners. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the gala events we went to. My, you know, my wife loved buying the gowns and stuff to dress up. It was fun. I mean, you've got to. You know, uh, trust me. Maybe the. The wives ought to, you know, get in their, their husband's heads a little bit and say, hey, this is something I get to finally, you know, step out here for a minute and, and have some fun and enjoy, you know, what you and we are doing together. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I think that that's, you know, the, the girls got into it as a big part of it. And I thought that was a great part of it. So, um, you know, who knows? I, yeah. I, you know, now they don't have to go to the banquets and they don't have to do some of the other stuff. And. You know, it's and they have to have money given to them for their charities and stuff. And you know, we never got a dime. You know, we I, I think the most they ever did for us was they gave us an extra couple thousand to pay for our wives' dresses or something. That was mm-hmm. about it. So, you remember a, a story or two? Like the what's the most nervous you've ever been in a Ryder Cup? I mean, you were always. Oh, such there's a- no question. There's, there's only one shot that comes to mind, and right. that's the. We shot it in '83 on the last hole when I'm playing Jose Maria Canizares. I'm one down. I need to win this hole, tie the match, so we win 14 and a half, 13 and a half. The only person left on the course other than me was Watson. He was two up and two to play on Bernard Gallagher. I had the entire team standing about 10 feet to the right of me while I'm hitting this 80-yard wedge shot to 18 at Palm Beach Gardens, and uh, I hit it a foot one. From the hole, won the won the match, and Nicholas kissed the divot. The whole thing as captains. I mean, that was. Uh, I always said if I could hit that shot under that amount of pressure, I could handle anything. So, um, to me, that was um, that was far and away the most pressure I've ever faced hitting any shot any time. Wow, that's that's um, that's it's different, right? I mean, like you, if if it was just you in the PGA, it's just you. Right. You, you're, you're yeah, the yeah, this was, this was the whole team. Yeah, this whole, I got, I'm sitting there. I've got Curtis Strange and Jay Haas and Tom Kite and Jack Nicholas and, you know, Fuzzy Zeller and everybody standing, you know, 10 feet to the right of me. You know, Raymond Floyd, while I'm hitting this shot, you know, Calvin Pete back in the day on that team, uh, 
they're walking the entire 18th hole. I'm the only thing left out there. Watson's going to win. Nobody, you know, nobody's beating Watson when he's up to the play. Um, so, I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty nerve wracking. Here's how I would set the course up landing. I want you to tell me if I'm right or wrong here, knowing our team, right? So whistling straights, um, it's, there's some, there's some tees there that they can have. I think this golf course could probably play if they wanted to 7,800 yards, 7,900 yards, if they wanted it to. Um, it doesn't make that doesn't make for good match play though. You want guys to be able to hit shots that mean something. You don't want everybody sitting back there hitting irons and, and where par is winning every single hole. Uh, you know they're 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 probably going to play at seventy three ish or something. You think? It's a big boy go- Yeah, it's hundred okay. percent. It's a big boy golf course. Uh, PGA of America is smarter than that. Uh, Kerry Haig sets up the course for Ryder Cup in conjunction with the American captain. Uh, I, I know that because I've been there and done it. Mm-hmm. And Kerry Hague has been setting up courses for years. Nobody has a better golf course set up year in, year out than the PGA of America because Kerry Hague does it. That's his job, and he's the best in the world at it. Uh, he's already held PGA championships at Whistling Straight. It's going to be set up like any other. They're not going to make it ridiculous. Uh, that that n- Players don't enjoy that. The gallery's not going to enjoy seeing them hit wood second shots in the holes and, and on par fours and make, you know, we're fours and fives and winning holes. That's not fun to watch. It's also a show. I mean, you want to see good golf and you want to see good shots rewarded and shots can be penalized at, at whistling straights. It's the kind of course that puts a lot of pressure, a lot of times on you, if your opponent has put it in trouble. And the reason being is there's no bailout at whistling straights. So let's say my, I'm playing, you know, Lee Westwood, and he gets up and puts it in the water. Well, where the, I can't aim left. I've got to go with the flag and the green myself because there's just – there's nothing there. And mm-hmm. you can't lay up anywhere. I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's just yeah. no way. So um, there, there are no bailouts at whistling straight. So it, the quality of golf is going to have to be outstanding to win. So it's, it, I think it brings out the best. I think it's going to be, I think it's, a, I think it's a, if they set it up properly, which I have all the confidence in the world that Kerry Haig will, uh, you know, and, and properly, and don't forget the wind's going to probably blow mm-hmm. up there. It's right on, right on the lake, Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. I think it's right there. It's going to blow. Um, it's, you know, you, you, you've got to allow for that. Um, and some of those, the size of the greens, you, you can't be hitting, clubs that are too long into some of those greens, especially with what's around them. So you, it's got to be where it's playable. And yeah. I mean, you got to make it fun for the players and fun for the spectators and fun for TV. And if you go playing what you're saying, 7,700, that's not fun for anybody. Yeah. I don't think they'll tip it out to there, but yeah, think, they won't no. trust me. They never have. No. I mean, I always get a kick out of every tournament, all, every course. Well, I, well, this course is really 76, 70. We, I've never seen one played at 74, much less 76. Mm. You know, the tour barely plays thing over 7,300. They, they want variety. You don't want the same thing hole after hole after hole. You want where guys have to put it in the fairway and have to hit quality shots to tough hole locations. Don't forget, we're not playing in the middle of greens. We're playing the holes that are hanging over water, over sand, over the it was the straights off the end of the world. So, I mean, you've got to have a, a club in your hand that you can be aggressive with and, and try and hit shots. Let me let me say this statement off the tee. Tell me if you think this is fair with whistling. 
if you can carry the ball 300 plus, which a lot of the Americans can, the Europeans have some, but the Americans have more guys that can bomb it, carry it three, 310 off the tee. 18, for example, you can bite off more, right, over that marsh area. Then you can't. Yeah, but can but it, sl- it slopes right to left. You can hit it down the right center at eighteen, and it, it'll kick left and feed down to the same place. So you're not by putting that stuff in play. If nobody's going to aim left and put that stuff in play, I've played there. I've done. I, I was a lead analyst for CBS when we did a PGA Championship there. Uh, guys don't play like that. They they play smart. They use the terrain. So I mean, what you're saying is all well and good, but it ain't going to happen. So there's no holes where there's the carry distance. Do you probably, it's, hey, it's longer off the tee is always good, yeah. especially if you put it in the fairway. Mm-hmm. That's that's. I mean, it's a long golf course. It's going to play long. Mm-hmm. It's not going to play 7,700 yards, but it's going to play long, okay? And and, and the wind's going to be, probably be a factor this time of year up there. Uh, might even be cool. I mean, we're talking yeah. Wisconsin in late September. I mean, it could, you know mm-hmm. – <laughs> It could be serious sweater weather and cool, and the ball is not going to go as far. Um, so you you don't know. Um, yeah. I, I you know, and all that's going to be taken into account when they set the golf course up. I mean, the the PGA of America and Kerry Hague, yeah. they're not going to go out there and embarrass the players on on either side. I mean, it's it's the setup is done. The two people in charge of setup are Kerry Hague and Steve Stricker. That's the way it works. Been there, done that. Mm-hmm. I had when I was captain at Oak Hill, it was me and Kerry Haig. And I, mean, I said, and essentially, I said, Kerry, I, I know my team. I said, I want you to set it up like you'd set it up for a PGA championship, okay. plain and simple. Same kind of rough, same kind of green speeds. Uh, I have a straight hitting team. Um, you know, just go ahead and set like you wouldn't. You know, I, I said, I'm not looking to, you know, now, now the Europeans are the ones that have, have, obviously gone and done that first time we ever played the belfry mm. they put every whole location in the middle of greens and the green speeds were about nine you know just exactly dead opposite of what we play on our pga tour so uh, you know it was it was an adjustment for us we, we couldn't get balls to the hole putting so i mean that's they're they're more into doing that kind of stuff we're into setting up golf courses you know fair and and straightforward and and you know seeing what happens so let me ask you this. One more question. What's the key to alternate shot? I mean, we just don't play it in this country. It just like, I can't tell uh, you. You got to get time. into what you, you have to get into it. You can't. Uh, I mean, I, and I, I think that that's a great question because a lot of, I even see guys out there now that uh, in these team events that don't do this. I, when I had, I think I've got the most points won in alternate shot or maybe tied for it, you know, ever won in Ryder cup. What I did, let's, let's say I'm playing with Hale Irwin and we come off a green and he's going back to a tee. I walk back with Hale to that tee. And when he's hitting that tee shot, I'm into it. Mm. I'm playing that tee shot in my mind. So it's my shot we just hit out there. And then I play the second. Okay. And Hale would do the same thing. He would walk back. So you've, and, and, and actually we were, I think, 3-0 and in that format. But uh, you've got to be into it. You you have, you have can't say you're sorry, but you, you've got to treat it like, yeah, every shot he is, I have to treat like my shot. So mentally, I can't I can't say, okay, you walk 60 back yards back to the tee, I'll meet you down the fairway. That doesn't work. So I, I think it's very important that, you know, when when one person's playing a shot, you're both playing it together. You know, I'm not saying your partner's got to sit there and club you, 
but at least it's important that he stand there near the bag and listen to what you and your caddy say. Uh, probably not. In most cases, I wouldn't think that other player would, the partner would ever disagree with what you're doing unless it was something just really jumped up at him, but you've got to accept that. And then, you know, if they want and then look at the putts on the green, whether it's yours or not. And even if you don't offer advice, you've got to be into it. So I think yeah. it's, it's important to be in the entire process of the, uh, for the whole hole, not just the shots you hit. Well, that's good stuff. That's uh yeah. You, um, you Arnold and Billy have won the most alternate shot points at night in um, <clears throat> U.S. Ryder cup history in four ball. You've, you've won seven and a half fills the most at nine. So uh, yeah, you know, a thing or two about alternate shots, such a hard format. And it's one where the Americans struggle, you know, you can see it. Well, and it's also one that the players, I mean, that the captain for the most part, you've got to ascertain exactly how the course plays. Uh, like when I was uh, captain at, at, at Oak Hill and Rochester, I want to say, uh, and I may have it backwards here, but I think if you hit on the even holes, okay, that you were going to, and you had a good iron player and you had a guy that hit on the even holes that drove it really straight, that the guy hitting on the even holes was going to put six times the front and eight times the back because of the way the par threes and the par fives fell. So you take that into consideration when you're making the teams, you know, in that situation, I wanted a guy that hit it really straight playing with the hoop, who is probably a good putter playing with a guy that's a really good iron player. And so that's what you look at that going forward. Uh, I haven't looked at whistling straights as to how that fits there. I always played, I thought best in alternate shot with someone that played similar to me, Larry Nelson, I had success. Hmm. Uh, Hale Irwin and I had success. Payne Stewart and I had success. All of us drove it about the same length, good iron players, pretty comparable putters. So I, I think that was, uh, you know, it was kind of like, you. for me and Hale, for example, it's like playing with a mirror image of myself, yeah. the way he played, okay? Yep. The only difference, the main difference in myself and Hale was he worked it left to right and I worked it right to left. So we may adjust, you know, who hits off one in 10, depending on the way some of the holes went. Yeah, I think that's the big task for Strickers to get those. If we can split alternate shots, I think. Yeah, but you got to understand there's a difference today. I never asked to play with Hale Owen. I never asked to play with Larry Nelson. These guys want to play with their buddy, and they don't take that stuff into consideration. Yeah. Yeah, They're so. putting themselves ahead of the team, which is the biggest fault and flaw in what the Americans do today. It was starting to creep in when I was captain, uh, and it's gotten worse every, every one since. Yeah, I always think like I, I kind of I made this team. It's like I hope Stricker, you know, we need a leader, right? Like someone like here's what's best for the team. And look, that means you gotta leave one back that necessarily doesn't want to be there, doesn't have the right attitude, then that's the case. And here's how we're gonna match these teams up because of the way the course is set up and comparable skill sets, like you mentioned, rather than buddy buddy, chimey chimey. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, I mean, I lady. would assume there. I mean, I, I, you know, there were guys that I never <clears throat> went out with socially. That I played with on Ryder Cups that, you know, we enjoyed each other's company the whole deal, and and you know, maybe we'd see each other more later down the line. But it didn't, you know, for that that week changes the whole dynamic. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be part of something, and, and 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 you need to buy in and accept that. Can't thank you enough, Lanny. Um, 
for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing some insight. I could, I could talk about it forever. You know, it's funny. I've, I'm 44. I've been in golf my whole life. This is probably my favorite event. You know, I mean, the majors are great and it's fun and I get it. I know that means probably more to the player, but as a fan media, like you just, I, I, I well, just it only, love this the event. good thing. It only happens every two years yeah. and it is, it is us against them. I mean, if anything hurts the Ryder cup and I've never, and because I think so much of the Ryder cup is why I don't care for the president's cup. Mm. Uh, you know, in my mind, the, the Ryder cup is our tour against their tour. It's us against them has been since 79 when they, when they included, uh, Europe as, as part of, uh, the European Ryder cup team instead of just Great Britain and Ireland, you know, the president's cup, you get a whole bunch of guys that, you know, from all around the world and you go down and play in, you know, you're playing a whole bunch of guys, you know, the U S team is playing another team event in either South Africa or Australia or wherever. And, and their whole team lives in Orlando. I don't get that. You know, there's, there's no us against them. It's, it's just, it's not the same. Well, it all kicks off later this week on Friday, alternate shot. Then you go best ball and then do it again on Saturday. And then you get your, yeah. And singles. that that's an interesting concept. That's the captain's choice. Yeah. That's not preordained. Uh, we've seen it the other way in Europe. Uh, most times they play alternate shot first off and four four ball, uh, instead of foursomes, uh, foursomes is alternate shot. Four ball is what we know as best ball, right? But that's the captain's choice on how he wants to do that. Sometimes they switch it around. Not very often. Usually it's, foursomes first and then four ball in the afternoon. I think I'd go four ball first. Interesting. It's an interesting, I think I, you might want to lead with your strongest suit and get, yeah. you know, whatever, if you think you're stronger in four ball, go out there and get a lead. Yeah. Boy, it's fascinating. And I, I, I think I would, I think I'd, I think I'd have Bryson tee off first. And just get the crowd fired up and hit a 360 yard, whatever. <laughs> yeah. That one that doesn't work so good at one. It was some straight <laughs> fairway works. Fairway works good there. Oh man. Uh, it's going to be fun. You're going to watch, right? You're going to be, you'll be done. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm yeah. going to watch with you. I'll actually be doing a telecast. We have a champions tour event at Pebble beach okay. all week. So I'll be watching when I can. All right. Lanny Watkins, one of the greats, Hall of Famer, in the best uh, Team USA in the Ryder Cup. Can't thank you enough for uh, coming on the Stripe Show podcast. You bet, love, love talking Good being to with you. Let's take a second to talk about the folks over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation across the golf industry and with golfers everywhere for its combination of value, performance, and customer service. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is flipping the script on golf technology through perimeter-weighted balls made with the high-density particles and proprietary nanotransitional layer offering players enhanced accuracy, control, and distance. Encore recently added the Vero X1 to its suite of award-winning golf balls, one that already included the Golf Digest Gold-Rated Elixir and Low Compression Avant 55. Through its full suite of golf balls, Encore can help transform any golfer's game. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more info about Encore and start revolutionizing your game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 